Please be seated. How's this? Does it pick it up? There? Great. Um, when my kids were, when my kids were little, really little, um, our daycare, our home daycare provider, um, she recommended, actually she told us, um, to teach our kids baby sign language. Does anyone know about baby sign language? Yeah. Um, so baby sign language, it's simplified American sign language, um, and it's um, taught to toddlers and infants so that they can communicate. It helps with frustration and other things. And um, so my kids both learned this, and their favorite sign was this. Does anyone know what this is? More. So my son would do, use it all the time, more. Maybe it was the only one he actually ever learned. Um, more. And my daughter, who's now, who will turn eight next month, now seven, um, she still uses it when she wants something like chocolate. More. So, so the, a little while back, I was, um, I was giving out communion, and I was going down the rail doing my thing. And there, out of my corner of my eye, I could see this, this girl who was not quite two years old. And as I got closer, there she went. More, more, more. And you know, it moved me deeply because she was speaking to something that was deep within my own soul. This desire for more. For more of God. More of God's power. God's love, awareness of God's presence, more, more, more. I've come to believe that children, children, babies are born with a relationship with God. It's in the DNA, it's hardwired in their brain, in their soul. And as we get older, we sometimes lose that freshness of childhood. But it's there, that relationship with God, that desire for God, right there, that that girl was saying, more, more, more. Now, Matthew, whose gospel we've been hearing all this year, Matthew wrote his gospel in the year 85 or 90. So about 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So Matthew was writing for third-generation Christians. Matthew's community was mostly Jewish. Probably the first generation of Matthew's community, they, they knew Jesus, some of them. Some of them knew the apostles. They had a very direct connection to Jesus. People who had heard him teach there on the hill, who had seen the miracles, who'd experienced that early community that he'd gathered together. It was very fresh, that power of the living God amongst them. But as the generations progressed, that very direct contact with the power of Jesus was beginning to fade. 
And so Matthew, most likely, he took all the stories that he knew. He took all the stories and the teachings of Jesus, and he wrote them down in the gospel so that they could have them and remember them. And Matthew was very, very wise. Matthew knew that for the typical believer, they weren't going to experience the power of God in this very direct way as those first, those first believers who had a direct, distinct experience of the living God. Matthew knew that for the typical Christian, they were going to experience God's love, God's power, God's presence through the life of community, through the life of relationship that people have with one another, the relationships that would come together in the gathered people and what later would be known as the church. Matthew knew that it was in the life of community that most of us today would be shaped and learn about the power of God we know in Jesus. And so Matthew set out in his gospel to have a great care for the life of community. And that's where this lesson comes from, these rules, these guidelines of how to deal with disagreements, disagreements in the church. Now, in this gospel lesson, the text, it says, if one member of the church, you have a disagreement with another member of the church, he doesn't mean the institutional church. He doesn't mean this building or this bureaucracy or canons or whatnot. That wasn't even part of Matthew's thinking. In the Greek, he uses the word ecclesia, which means the gathering, the people. When Matthew's talking about the church, he's talking about the people, not the institution that we've built up over the millennia since then, the people who are important. And he goes on and he gives these very clear guidelines. First, if another member of the church sins against you, first, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. Bring it up directly with the person. I realized as I was trying to get my kids out of the house this morning, my wife's away this weekend, so they came to me with, for work for the whole morning. So at 7 o'clock as I'm getting them out, I realized that this is what I do with them. Go work it out yourself. <laughs> I'm not sure if it worked, but we'll find out. Um, and, uh, and then only if then, after bringing it up alone, if you're not able to resolve it, then take one or two others along with you to be witnesses, to help you solve this disagreement. And only after you've done step one and step two, and it still doesn't work, third, go tell it to the church. Go tell it to the people. Get the whole community involved. And then, if it's still not resolved, what you need to do next is make that person to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, what does Jesus do with Gentiles and tax collectors? No, he doesn't throw them out. He invites them to dinner. <laughs> he invites them to dinner. What Matthew's getting at here is about this need to keep showing up to the relationships in community, even through disagreement, to seek to resolve them 
but then you keep showing up. You never boot them out. You invite them over. Matthew knows that through working it out, through showing up to a life together, that's when we can say, when two or three are gathered in my name, then truly I am there among them. When two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am among them. We all came to church today for many different reasons. We all come to our faith, to this community, from all sorts of places. Sometimes it's our family who either explicitly or implicitly makes us. Maybe we're here today because there's been a tragedy in our life, a sense of loss. Maybe it's something private like a struggle with infertility or a loss of a miscarriage or maybe something public like the loss of a spouse. Maybe we're worried about our family or friends in Texas or in Florida. Maybe we come out of routine or duty or feeling of being lost. Or maybe it's a longing for community. Whatever it is for you, God has brought you here today. God has brought you here today to show up to the life of community. Whatever we're looking for, God is here encountering us together. We're all touching something that was laid out before any of us was born. A story of God's power and God's presence from those first few people that knew him. A community that's been shaped over the generations by that story as a way of experiencing the presence and power of God. To respond to a desire a desire that is hardwired into each of our souls, our brains, our DNA, that desire for more, for more, for more. You and I are here today to show up for the experience of a living, loving, powerful God that we know in community that's given to us in community, the power of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.